All right, good morning, everybody. Glad to have you with us this morning. All right, good. All right, so this morning is kind of a part two to last week. Um, in a way it is, and in a way it's kind of just, I don't know, kind of a follow-up. Um, if you weren't here last week, you're probably missing a little bit of context, so I'll try to do a little bit of a review. Uh, so last week we spoke, well better yet, someone tell me what we talked about last week. Let me do a little quiz here. Talked about denominationalism. Okay, and what were some of the things we discussed? Yeah, so we, we stopped and, and talked about, okay, let's define our terms. What are we talking about? What's the problem with that? Okay, what are, what are the issues? What are the challenges? What are the problems with, with this phenomena? And what, anyone remember what some of the issues were we talked about? Yeah, so, so we talked about the issue of unity, right? That, that Christ prayed for unity, that the apostles taught unity, and how the idea behind denominationalism itself is to divide things up, right? To make them identifiable by their differences. And that's kind of the opposite of what we're looking for, right? We want unity, we don't want differences, and we especially don't want to highlight those differences. Um, we talked about... The issue of identity, right? Identifying yourself by something. And so when you start, start splitting into groups, you begin to identify yourself with someone or something like we see in, in 1 Corinthians. Remember we had that, that reading we talked about. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. People branching off out of the church to follow particular people instead of following Christ himself. Uh, which led into the issue of following teachings, creeds, traditions of men um, over or at the same level of God's Word, right? And that's an issue when you start taking uh, doctrines from men and placing them higher than or at an equal status of the teachings of Scripture, um, which again ties into the whole you know, breaking apart into different groups issue because once you start following those men, you follow their teachings in addition to Scripture or instead of Scripture. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what we went over, kind of the issues there, which then poses, poses the question, which is kind of where we left off, about, okay, what about us, right? We're trying to teach unity, we're trying to reject denominationalism, we're trying to be, in a sense, non-denominational, and when I say non-denominational, I don't mean Baptists with a good website, I mean truly rejecting the notion of dividing the church, right? We want to go back to Scripture and have unity based on Scripture and to not have those divisions. Remember I showed the, the branching chart uh, last week where you kind of start off with the Catholic Church and then you see the, the Lutheran Church break off and you also have the Presbyterians and, the, and all that. that. That's not really... We want to get back you know, to that main trunk of the tree not live on the branches. And we seek to do that through Scripture, not through teachings of men. So, all that then begs the question about a particular person in history, which probably some of us have heard about, and we need to discuss this issue because when you're talking 
with a friend who comes from a denominational background, this is maybe something they've heard before. We need to be able to, to clear up misconceptions and also check ourselves. That was the other thing that we ended on last week is, okay, let's check ourselves and make sure that we're not doing the very things that we're teaching we shouldn't do. Maybe calling them by different names or something, but still doing them. We want to make sure that we check ourselves as, as part of this teaching. So, um, I, I want to talk about this morning a fellow by the name of Alexander Campbell. Um, I guess it would be an easier question, really, to say, raise your hand if you haven't heard of the term Campbellite. Okay, so a few people, right? But I would say majority of people in this room have heard the term before. So we definitely want to talk about this. We want to understand the issue, and we want to prevent from falling into this trap and being as some people might say we are. Uh, before I get into the lesson, full credit goes to uh, Dwight Fuqua, who's the preacher up in Sparta, Tennessee. Um, he was our speaker for Friends and Family Day this past year, if you recall. Um, he, he did this lesson, I heard him present it, I thought it was great, and so I asked him if I could use it, and so I think this is the second time I presented this. Uh, first time was received pretty well, and we lost the audio recording, so if anyone wants a recording this time, uh, hopefully this will be just as good. Um, but yeah, so the question is, are we Campbellites? And we, even getting into who is we is kind of a tough question, right, because last week, what I was talking about towards the end is, okay, what's that sign out there, you know, what's in a name? I, I challenge some people to think about, are we, are we identifying ourselves in ways that others do that we say we shouldn't? And so when I say we this morning, all I can really speak for are the people within these walls, right? Because this church is autonomous. This church does not answer to a national assembly or a hierarchy, you know, to a pope or to a national synod or to a convention. This church answers to its elders who then also answer to God, right? Ultimately answer to God. Um, but the leadership in this congregation does not extend beyond the eldership. So all I can speak for is what's going on here. I can't speak for congregations down the road or across the country or across the world. But I would hope that also that they follow the same teachings. But part of, part of rejecting denominationalism is to understand the idea of autonomy and the idea that we are teaching you know, what we understand here. And there is not this idea of a, of a collective that is answering to some, some worldly authority to ensure that they're all teaching the same thing. All that being said, um, are we Campbellites? Let's get into the question. Uh, if you go to, I thought I fixed this, Wikipedia, not Wikidedia, as on the slide. Um, if you search up the word Campbellite, uh, Wikipedia says Campbellite is a mildly pejorative term, which basically means, you know, negative connotations, maybe somewhat offensive, uh, referring to the adherence of certain religious groups that have historical roots in the Restoration Movement. Members of these groups generally consider the term Campbellite inappropriate, saying they are not followers of Jesus, or followers of Jesus, not of Campbell. Okay. Um, Wayne Jackson, uh, who uh, I think he's still affiliated with the Christian Courier, 
Um, he said it's tiresome to have to respond again and again to the same misguided and often dishonest charge, but one is compelled from time to time to, to do so. Uh, if you look at, uh, what is this, dictionary.com, calls it a term of mild contempt. Campbellite is also rejected by those to whom the term applies. These Christians prefer to associate themselves with the teaching of Christ rather than the teachings of Campbell. Alexander Campbell is the person we're talking about. And if someone were to be a Campbellite, they would be a follower of Campbell, just as if someone is a Lutheran, they're a follower of Luther. Uh, the same type of idea. Um, so I guess before we really get into the issue, we want to understand who Alexander Campbell was. So that's Alexander Campbell, um, born sometime in the 1780s. The, the date's a little fuzzy, um, anywhere from 1781 to 1788 died uh, 1866, really, I guess that's just on the tail end of the Civil War. Um, but he was born in Northern Ireland, actually. He came to the U.S., I think, around 1810 or so. Um, grew up Presbyterian, father was Presbyterian, actually part of a branch of the Presbyterian Church. I did a little bit of reading on this last night. I won't bore you with the details, but there were, there were issues between Scotland and Ireland, there were issues between monarchies, there were issues between, you know, this particular monarchy's church and their beliefs. And so not only were they Presbyterian, but they were actually part of a group of Presbyterians that had broken off from the mainland group of Presbyterians, and then they had broken off a group of that. So kind of a complicated religious background, but my point is he comes from a Presbyterian denominational background. Um, he's a prominent leader in what is called the Restoration Movement in America, uh, which was a, a, I also say like a religious philosophical uh, movement in the 1800s, which would sound very familiar to, to what some of us talk about today, the idea of let's just teach the Bible instead of teaching denominational creeds. But he wasn't the only one. Uh, there were several others. Uh, Barton W. Stone is another example. Campbell's father, Thomas Campbell, actually was fairly influential. Uh, a man by the name of John Smith, a man by the name of Walter Scott, several other preachers and teachers who went all throughout the U.S. Uh, promoting, pleading for this idea of just teaching Scripture. Now the question is, is was this Alexander Campbell's idea? Did this come from him? You know, is this his, his creed that now we're following and we're denominations built in his image? Um, but they had a worthy cause, which was to overcome division, and they knew all about division based on their background, to overcome that division by going back to Scripture and using Scripture as the basis instead of human creeds. Um, so what is Campbell's thoughts on this? Here's a quote. Uh, let's see. This was in 1826. Yes, in a editorial called The Christian Baptist. Um, let's see. Some religious readers or some religious editors in Kentucky call those who are desirous of seeing the ancient order of things restored the Restorationers or the Campbellites. This may go well with some, but all who fear God and keep His commandments will pity and deplore the weaknesses and folly of those who either think to convince or persuade by such means. Basically his objection to these types of labels being applied to people who are trying to just go back to Scripture. Um, 1828, 
he responded to the question, what is Campbellitism? And his response was this. It's a nickname of reproach invented and adopted by those whose views, feelings, and desires are all sectarian. We talked about sectarianism last week, right? The idea of, of being broken into different sects, different groups. Denominationalism is, is what we would call that now. Uh, who cannot conceive of Christianity in any other light than an ism. And I think that's an interesting point to bring about. When we're talking with other people who are, who are of certain denominations, that's what they know, right? That's what they were raised in. That's what they've been taught. And so when, you, when, you're, when your religious background tells you to lump people into particular buckets based on their religious group and identity, then you're going to be naturally inclined to do that to every group you run into, right? And so if you experience, if you run into people who are teaching, let's go back to the Bible, and you see a lot of them together, you're going to try to categorize them together and lump them into a bucket, and that's going to be an ism, right? Methodism, Lutheranism, Protestantism, Presbyterianism, Catholicism, you want to make it into an ism so that it's easy to understand. Like I said last week with the, uh, the analogy for, for high schoolers, right? You want to put things in easy buckets, you want to put people into buckets based on their identities. And so if you put them all into different isms, then you can now easily categorize people. It's a mental shortcut. Uh, here's another one. This is two-part slides. Uh, when Campbell was in New Orleans, a local newspaper characterized him as the founder of a denomination, and he sent a letter to the editors. Uh, he said, You have done me, gentlemen, too much honor in saying I am the founder of a denomination quite numerous and respectable in many portions of the West, technically known as Christians, but more commonly known as Campbellites. He continued, I've always repudiated all human heads and human names for the people of the Lord and shall feel very thankful if you would correct the erroneous impression which your article may have made in thus representing me as the founder of a religious denomination. So, if you want to go back to the source and you want to actually talk to the guy, he was totally opposed. He was totally opposed to this division in general, and he was ghastly opposed to being promoted or labeled as someone who actually was the leader of such a thing. Because the teaching he was talking about, and the teaching many others in his circle and other circles were talking about, was totally contrary to what the label was that he was being given. And so it's unfortunate that someone who actually was working to bring people out of denominationalism himself was being called the founder of a denomination. But that's... Well, it's odd that people who obviously have the desire of Christianity would be so involved in things which is so opposed to Christianity. I mean, when you think of denominationalism, the word itself implies the vision. The vision of what? The church. The church is the kingdom of God. So we're talking about the vision of the kingdom. But the Lord Savior said, he kingdom divided among itself will not stand. So the whole concept of denomination is totally opposed to what the teaching of Christ is. Right. And for someone to be trying to seek that out and be identified as someone participating in that is obviously frustrating. Right. But, of course, that's just his words. You also need to judge by his actions and also by the historical context surrounding him, right? And so... We'll do a little bit of a history lesson outside of, of his own mindset, his own attitudes. Uh, so if you talk about 
congregations using the name Church of Christ in the general sense, that predates Alexander Campbell's birth, for one thing. Um, we see evidence of churches, churches of Christ in Scotland, in Ireland, in England, all predating his birth going back to at least the 1600s. And we had a, we had a speaker a couple of years ago who did a Wednesday night, I think it was like a summer series, Wednesday night lesson on some of this, and he went back far in the European history. And it was, it was very interesting. I think I might try to dig that up sometime. Um, most of the material I have this morning is on the American side. But there's, there's evidence of people that just want to call themselves Christians, just want to say we're a Christian church, a church of God, a church of Christ, all those things, going back several hundred years in Europe. And there's evidence of the Catholic Church trying to stamp that out because that would be considered heretical by the Catholic Church, rejecting the Pope, rejecting the tr traditions of the Catholic Church as being authoritative, rejecting infant baptism was one of the really big ones, um, and also was a big issue for some of the groups of people that were participating in this restoration movement. Uh, it, was, it was a major conflict early on for them to iron out what does the Scripture say versus what I've been taught. Uh, but also churches in America. There are churches in America that were calling themselves Church of Christ or some variation of such before Campbell even got here. Okay, So if we're, if we're going to try to say that this man founded a denomination by th this particular name, we've got to explain how all of these congregations existed before he did. And so here's a couple of examples. Let's see. So if we go into Morrison, Tennessee, and these, these examples will be more Tennessee and Kentucky based just because that's where uh, Dwight lives and that's where he's visited. Um, but he took some of these pictures. Uh, the old Philadelphia Church of Christ in Morrison, Tennessee, established in 1810. Alexander Campbell was not baptized until 1812. And he con continued to be affiliated with the Baptist Church until into the 1820s. This congregation's been here since before he was A, baptized, but B, totally rejected denominationalism. So that's evidence then of Church of Christ existing before this man really came on the scene. If we'll go into Cane Ridge, Kentucky, there is a meeting house, it says here, built in 1791. There's a couple of pictures here. Um, it was an old log building that they've done some, some restoration on. So you see here, uh, Cane Ridge Meeting House, built by Presbyterians, 1791. Uh, Barton W. Stone, which I mentioned a minute ago, one of these um, prominent preachers, began his ministry in 1796. Famous revival attended by many uh, pioneers of many faiths. 1801, Springfield Presbyterian dissolved and, and Christian Church launched June 28, 1804. So again, they rejected Presbyterianism. They came out of this denomination and they said, let's just call ourselves a Christian church because that's all we want to be, is a follower of Christ, not a follower of a particular human denomination or doctrine. And so they dissolved. And they renamed themselves. And they, they changed their teaching based on what they saw in Scripture. And again, look at the dates. 
1804. That's, again, before uh, Alexander Campbell's prominent teaching, and I believe he didn't arrive in, in the U.S. until 1809. Yeah, he didn't arrive un until around 1809. Uh, that's the new version of the building. Looks pretty nice. And then if you want to see on the inside, these, these pictures are just kind of neat to me. I always like going into like Tennessee, go into... Um, wow. Cades Cove. Thank you. Cades Cove. Um, and you see all the old buildings, right? And you just imagine living in those buildings. But if you look, this is the old inside of the church building. And you see the pews, and you see the little pulpit area up front. Open air. Second floor. And it's kind of hard to see, but if you see that back window, that's a box fan. <laughs> Must be a really old box fan. Um, but you imagine sitting in a church building with no air conditioning, especially on the summer, in the summer. That'd be fun. Uh, but yeah, so this is the inside of the old church building. Well, there's a cemetery out by the church building, as traditionally would be. And there's an interesting headstone from a man named William Rogers. William Rogers, born in Campbell County, Virginia, July 7th, 1784, removed with his father to Cane Ridge, Bourbon County, April 1798, united with the Church of Christ at Cane Ridge in 1807. Died February 15th, 1862, in the, uh, in the 78th year of his age, he was the friend of God. United with the Church of Christ in 1807. Again, Alexander Campbell's not even in the U.S. yet. Or if he is, he just got here. And he's not come out of the Presbyterian Church. He hasn't even really moved into the Baptist Church yet. And he definitely hasn't rejected denominationalism yet for his restoration teaching. And yet we have someone being united with the Church of Christ in 1807. Uh, let's see. Yes, two years before he arrived in America. And so... This should be at least historical evidence enough to show that the phenomenon of people trying to identify with simply Christ, simply Christ's church, predates the man who many denominational people would try to ascribe the entire concept to, or any of his associates. His father was in the U.S. Um, before he got here, trying to, to teach as part of the Presbyterian Church, but he kept encountering roadblocks when he studied Scripture and found conflicts and brought it up to his Presbyterian group. He eventually was essentially kicked out as a preacher because the teaching he was giving was contradicting the Presbyterian doctrine. And that's kind of what led to some of this is when he got together with some of his other um, like-minded fellows and decided the Presbyterian Church is not teaching Scripture correctly. We don't see a denomination that's teaching what the Bible actually says. We need to get together and just study the Bible. So Campbell, as like many others during this time, was a restorer, not a founder, right? To found is to establish or originate something, to be the person who started something. But to restore is to return to something of a former condition or former place. The idea is not to start a new church that has a new teaching, the idea is to go back to the original church and to the original teaching. And this idea is not new. It's not new today. It wasn't new then. Just because history provides 
some amount of fame to certain people who were prominent preachers of, of the Scripture at this particular time in history. That doesn't mean that they came up with it. It's not that their teaching was anything new. Their teaching was to go to the Bible. The Bible has been around for a very long time, uh, much longer than any human teacher has. And so he was one key figure of many, but the evidence of him founding a denomination called Church of Christ is simply not there. It's simply not backed up by what we see in history. All right. So when we talk, when we say restoration, right, this whole restoration movement idea, and the ideas that were similar to it before, and the ideas that have been similar to it after, what's what's the idea behind it? Well, think about the game of baseball. And imagine, or any any sport really, but the example is baseball. You can you can put in another one if you understand it better. Um, think about if if the game of baseball were to be lost over time, people maybe weren't playing it or it had gone out of fashion and so people had started to forget how to play baseball. What if someone then at some point finds uh, an old book that describes how to actually play the game and it doesn't match what what most people have been doing for the past 50 years since they forgot how to play baseball? Have you invented baseball? No, baseball always existed. It's just that people weren't playing it, right? If most people weren't playing it, but the game still existed, you haven't invented a new game. You've rediscovered the game that had been there the entire time. A better example, I think, is the idea of a seed. And I actually saw a few weeks ago, they had found some seeds in a a jar in Israel, and they had replanted those seeds. The, The seeds were supposedly like thousands of years old because they were in this like ancient pot. They planted the seeds, and the seeds grew. They still grew. They've been there the entire time, and they grew into trees. And that's also the idea. If, if you had seeds sitting around for a long time, and no one had planted that seed, and you go out and you plant the seed, and the seed grows into a plant, well, have you discovered a new part of life? Have you, have you invented a new crop? Well, no. The seed's always been there. You planted a crop that people might have discarded, that most people might have forgotten about, but the seed was there the entire time. You haven't invented anything new. You've just replanted what already, what already existed. And so, you know, Luke eight eleven, the seed is the Word of God. Planting the Word of God, whether in the first century or today, should grow Christians. Planting the Word of God does not grow a follower of a particular denominational teacher Planting the Word of God grows Christians. And that's what we're seeking as well. As I said, seed is the Word of God. And so why do people insist on lumping those who would teach to simply go back to the Bible in with you know, particular teachers at a particular time in history and try to make an ism out of those people and their teaching. Well, because, like I said before, that's what people are used to. That's, what people are, that's how people are used to interpreting the religious world around them. Sometimes it could be malicious, but I think oftentimes it's just because that's what people know. And so understanding 
the historical facts, the biblical facts, being able to convey that is important for us, first of all, to teach people, right, to help them understand this is different. We're not promoting another human creed to you. We're trying to teach simply the Word of God. Um, for all that, that Campbell and some of his associates did, I don't think that I would take his teaching at face value. It's not, I, I, based on my understanding of some of the things he taught, I don't think he was 100% correct. So I'm not going to follow everything he said. Um, I appreciate his influence on the American religious culture. It definitely gives us, uh, I think, additional um, perspective. But I'm not following his teachings. I want to follow the Bible. And if what I follow happens to coincide with some of the things that he was teaching, well, that's good for him, I think, right? But I'm not following it because of him. I'm following it because it's in the Bible. And so... I wanted to leave a couple minutes this morning because I'm very bad about doing that to kind of do a little bit of discussion. But that was kind of the bulk of this lesson is to kind of provide some additional context, some historical context to help understand this issue and at least be able to speak to other people to show them why this isn't like every other, you know, religious teaching they run into. That the idea is not to follow uh, a preacher from the 1800s but to follow uh, Christ and to follow what he said. The other point I want to bring out, like I did last week, is I, I don't believe that this, the people here, I don't believe this is a, a Campbellite church, right? I believe this is a church who's trying to just follow what the Scripture says. However, that doesn't mean that we couldn't become that, right? Like I said last week, is, is the Church of Christ a denomination well, it shouldn't be, but it is if you make it one. And the same applies here. If I do want to start following Campbell's teachings, whatever they may be, and I do want to start organizing myself based on that identity and not based on what Scripture says, then yeah, I can become one, right? The only thing that's stopping me from becoming denominational in my thinking is myself, right? My understanding of Scripture and my decisions and my attitude towards my faith. So, anyway, this is the point of the lesson where I begin to ramble. <laughs> Do you have any questions, any comments, anything we want to add? It's like the book of the law that was found in Josiah's time. They, you know, the, the priests found out that they were doing so many things that were wrong. They, when they saw the book, of, read the book of the law, they, you know, they ran their clothes and everything and started... I think it's an interesting point, um, <laughs> an interesting comparison, right? The, the Old Testament example of, of rediscovering the book of the law and of them realizing, hey, we've not been following what the book of the law has said. We need to change our mindset. We need to change our actions because God's word has been among us the entire time and we haven't been following it. And the, the honesty, right, and the self-reflection involved in doing that, I think, is commendable. Because they did, right? They, they were distraught because they had discovered God's law, and they realized that's not what they were following. It didn't match up with what they were doing. So yeah, I think it's a good point.
teachings of Alexander Campbell that we follow as doctors. Uh, unlike a lot of the denominations, <coughs> denominations in the world, that there's no man-made doctrine, no man-made creed that we follow. Yeah, and uh, I think I think that's important to remember, right? That's kind of where denominations break off, is where they start following creeds, and they start following men's teachings. I will challenge that a little bit, and I don't want to challenge it in a way to say that, like, I agree with you, but I do want to at least throw something out there to chew on. When we use the phrase, speak where the Bible speaks, and be silent where the Bible is silent, where does that come from? Well, that comes from this movement, the, the motto itself. If we treat that as a creed, then we might be getting into that territory. But, so that's, that's the question, right? Is, is do we follow it because... Do, does the motto happen to coincide with what we're earnestly trying to do? Or is the motto directing our study, right? So again, just to kind of float things out there for people to think about. Just like last week when, I was talking with, uh, when Houston uh, answered about the, the sign outside. We need to be examining ourselves. Just because we may not be today doesn't mean we can't turn into it. It's something that we need to be vigilant about. We need to examine ourselves as a congregation and individually. Yes. Yeah, both, both as a group, our activity here in this community, but also each one of us individually. How do I view the church? How do I view myself? Right? And where am I taking my teaching from? Where am I taking my my religious perspective from? What's the basis for how I approach um, understanding God's Word? Let's stay in God's Word. Because, like, I'm in numbers right now, reading through the Bible, and um, it, God has over and over and over told these people what to do, how to do it, to the T, you know, and they just keep falling away, falling away. You know, he's, he's gotten rid of so many they just would not follow what he wanted them to know. So we have that responsibility, just like they did, to know God's word, to carry it in our heart, and to impart it to other people. And I think that's the most important thing that we can do is stay in God's word. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a common theme throughout scripture and throughout history, right? This recurring pattern of God's people veering off and then trying to come back, and then veering off and trying to come back. There's nothing that says we still aren't in that cycle now, right? Like, that's the human experience. Now, we may not be running off and worshiping Baal, you know, like, like the, uh, the Jews might have done at some point, but this whole, this whole tendency to grow away from God and try to get back to Him, you know, it's not something that we're immune from.
Right. All right, well, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we veer off when we try to take control, right? When we try to run things instead of follow. All right, well, thank you for your attention this, this morning. Um, this will conclude this little series. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's really my admonition, is to understand, understand denominationalism, understand why there are issues with it based on Scripture, and understand that to make sure that it's not something that we fall into, right? When, when we become more dedicated to traditions, to creeds, to whatever it may be, you know, when it, men or, who, or whatever, that's when we kind of get into that, that trouble where we start veering off from being, you know, the church of the first century and start making ourselves our own group. All right, thank you for your attention.